Well, this morning we're going to begin a series called Advent for the Poor. And now what that word Advent means is it is something that is long time anticipated. It is something or somebody that is arriving that has been, been long awaited. And every year at December, in this country at least, we, we have a tradition of looking back and remembering Jesus coming into this world, being born in the manger and so forth. And yet there are many other Advents that we read about in the Word of God. Really, one of the very first Advents is the Israelites in Egypt, spending 430 years in Egyptian slavery. And so for all of those 430 years, their Advent was an Advent of freedom. And so for 430 years, they are waiting, and they are waiting, and they are waiting. Well, once they get out of Egypt, then we, we have another 40 years out in the wilderness. And, and now what their advent is, is reaching a promised land. And for 40 more years, they are waiting and waiting and they are waiting. And yet it's interesting because after all of the kings had reigned and we see many prophets coming and speaking about A.M. Christ who was to come, after they had killed the very last one, we have a period of time between Malachi and the manger that is over 400 years. And so for 400 years, there is this, this long period, many, many generations of absolute silence in the heavens. And God, it seems, has just gone silent on the people. And so for 400 years, they are waiting and waiting and they are waiting and they're hurting and they're hurting and they're hurting all of those years. And yet all of that is going to change one, one day, though. As this young Jewish rabbi walks into a synagogue on a Saturday morning, and he opens up to a scroll there in the book of Isaiah. And really it's what we read in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4. As we envision in our minds Jesus standing up in the synagogue, and he reads, as it says, in Isaiah, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed. They have heard this, and yet here's where it gets very interesting, though, because everybody in the synagogue then hears Jesus say, how as he closes that, that scroll, and he gives it back to the, the attendant in the synagogue, it says that the eyes of everybody there had been fixed upon Jesus. And then Jesus says to them that today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And this is so significant because Jesus is reading a passage of scripture from, from Isaiah the prophet as he speaks about one day our Messiah is going to come. And now here is Jesus saying, it's me. I am the Messiah who was to come. And when he came, what would he be doing specifically? Would he come for all of those individuals in the world who thought that they were already righteous and saved apart from Jesus? Really, as he says in one place later on, he says, it's not those who are well who need a physician, it's those who are sick. Here is why Jesus came. He says that, that I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. 
I am coming to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. And I am coming to set free those who are enslaved, those who are oppressed. This is what Advent is all about. And now here he is. And now here it is. All of this waiting is over. And the best way that I have ever heard Advent identified is the word aching. What Advent really means is to wait with an ache in your heart. And so, really, why Jesus came is for all of those who are broken-spirited, all of those who are downcast, who are outcast, as we might, might say in our modern-day language, those who are losers, those who are untouchables, Jesus is sprinting as quickly as he can to their rescue so that he can help them, so that he can redeem them. And sure enough, not very long after that day in that synagogue, Jesus steps down from a mountain. Jesus has just preached the, the absolute greatest sermon that will ever be preached. As he spoke about those who are poor in spirit, and he said that, that you have heard a long, long, long time ago this, but, but, but now I am telling you this. And he said that anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, he is the man who lives his life on the foundation of the solid rock. And yet then he comes down from the mountain. And yet what amazes me most about our text this morning in Matthew chapter 8 is that even though technically the, the Sermon on the Mount is, is quote-unquote over, it's really just beginning because... Just as soon as he steps down from the mountainside, there is a man who comes to him. And Jesus lives exactly what he has just proclaimed in so many words on the Sermon on the Mount. This is really what I love most about Jesus, is that unlike so many communicators of the scriptures, his teachings were not exclusively eloquently said words. It wasn't just a multiplicity of knowledge filling his brain cells, but, but his most beautiful teachings were his actions because he lived and he, and he bled exactly what he had proclaimed. Um, so here's our text this morning, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has just come down from the mountain, and it says that, that as he does so, large crowds are swarming around him. Notice that it says, and a leper. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, and now be cleansed. And immediately it says, his leprosy was cleansed. And now really, here's what we need to understand about this man, because there are, are a couple of ways for us to read Scripture. One is that we just read it and say, okay, so he comes down from the mountain, a leper comes to him, he heals him, okay, cool, let's move on to the next verse. We can do that. Or we can stop and to look at this through the perspective of this leper who Jesus has just cleansed. And that is what I would like to do here this morning. And really what we need to understand about leprosy is that leprosy was not like a sore throat or a headache. But rather, leprosy was a vicious, horrific disease. Well, in Luke's account, 
he says that this man had been covered from head to toe with the most grotesque form of leprosy that, that really anybody had ever seen before. And so envision in your mind somebody who is absolutely submerged, who is immersed with leprosy. And by definition, what leprosy is, is this chronic infectious infirmity that, and it causes permanent damage to the skin, to the nerves, to the limbs, as well as oftentimes in the eyes. And leprosy attacks the joints and the ligaments of the body where, in extreme cases, you cannot even have any feeling in your own extremities. Sometimes if a leper slept and a rat came and chewed away at their um, fingers or at their toes, they could very well wake up and have half of a finger, half of a toe, and not even know that it had occurred. This is a horrible infirmity to have. Now, if you're anything like, like I was growing up, I would read the text, and I would envision a man like, like this who's bowing down before Jesus. And yet the problem with this is, is that he looks just like everybody else. He just looks a little bit scared, maybe a little bit sad. But this is not who was bowing down before Jesus, this man who had leprosy. We need to get this image out of our mind right here. And we need to have an image in, here in our mind of something more like this. Or something like this. Now, another word for, for leprosy later on in history is the elephant man um, face, where as a person has leprosy, their um, face actually morphs and it looks very grotesque. It looks almost as if they were an animal. This is the kind of person who, if he were to um, come anywhere near quote-unquote normal people, you could be rest assured that, that every single person in that room is staring, is gawking at this person with their mouths agape, thinking, what in the heck is that thing who is standing here? Is that even a human being? This is more what this man would have looked like who was bowing down before Jesus on this day. Again, oftentimes only half of a finger at times, or half of a toe. And to add insult to injury, in the law of Moses, this is what it says if you had leprosy. It says in Leviticus chapter 13 that, that as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. And his dwelling place shall be outside of the camp, and he shall live alone. If you had leprosy, you no longer really had a name or an identity. Your name and identity now was unclean because it says so four times in just a couple of verses here. And I just can't imagine what it was like being a, a man or a woman who looked like this where you had to wear torn clothes. Anytime that you got anywhere near other people, you would have to remind them how, how gross and how hideous you were. You had to let them know how a freak show was on its way to you. And you had to live alone in complete isolation outside of the city and where everybody else was. 
And I mean, can you imagine the humiliation that your, I mean, every day of your life was nothing but humiliation. Can you imagine what sorrow had been filling these people's hearts? And the loneliness that had lingered as they waited and as they waited and as they waited with an ache for God to do something for their infirmity. And yet all of the doctors and priests, there was just so much that they could do and they, they were just going to always look like this, I guess. You see, this is what Advent is. Advent is waiting and waiting and aiding with an ache in our souls for God to show up and to do something. And yet the reason why I marvel at this man here in Matthew chapter 8 is that just like blind men who we read about in the Gospels, just like all of those who had a demon possession, those who, who were epileptics, this man wanted to do something about his leprosy. This man did not want to remain in the miserable condition that he was anymore. And I know this because he is running straight into where, where everybody else is, something that a leper was not supposed to do. And he gets right up next to Jesus. And he says, God, please help me with this infirmity. Please do something about this. Because I am full of this disgusting disease. And yet, you and I, so oftentimes... We are also filled, we are covered, we are submerged with a horrific disease just like leprosy. And it is a disease called sin. Now if there ever was a physical illustration of what our sin looks like on the outside, look no further than leprosy. If leprosy had a look to it, or rather if our sin had a look to it. This is what it might very well look like. And now I think about John as he says that this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not even come to the light for fear that his deeds are going to be exposed. This is about us, brothers and sisters. It's about the human race. How even though God has sent his son into this world, loving us with, with every last beating of his heart at the cross, rising up from the empty tomb, offering us true life, we as a human race collectively said, we don't need you. We would rather have the darkness because we want the darkness more than we want that which is light. We serve a loving, generous, sacrificial God who gives us so much mercy and grace. Yes, that is true. And yet, have you ever thought before about all of the grief and the misery that we have brought to our Creator through our sins? I remember how in the days of Noah, God looks out and he sees that every single intent in the heart of man it was exclusively for sin. How can I sin even more than I did one hour ago? And it reached such a proportion of sin that it eventually says that the Lord was sorry. In the Hebrew, it says God repented that he ever even made us in the first place. 
And yet that last part is the one that, that really cuts my heart the most. Where it says that he was grieved in his heart. Now in our own day, what we read is about grieving God's Holy Spirit. Anytime that we are walking in the flesh, reverting back to who we once were before we gave our lives to Jesus, it's as if God experiences that exact same feeling we feel anytime that we lose a person who we love, who has just died. It feels as if we have actually died. And after all, that is exactly what sin is, isn't it? Sin is separation from God. Sin is death. Sin is lawlessness. And as we intentionally live in sin rather than, than, than walk in his Holy Spirit, it's as if God is watching us. Just as a parent sees their child who is completely going the wrong way, and their heart is just shattered, and God is like, I mean, he's just completely heartbroken. This is what we do. This is what we are experts at as human beings. Grieving God to his heart. Well, this man who has leprosy, who bows down before Jesus, he understands, he knows that he is full of this disgusting disease of leprosy. And yet, are we always aware? Do we own up to the fact that, that, that sometimes we are full of this disgusting disease called sin? An infirmity that grieves God to his very heart. I'll never forget about when Hurricane Katrina came in 05, I believe it was. And it caused a lot of ruin to New Orleans, among other places. And yet when Amanda had been in a college group there in Texas, where I met her at that time, um, her group had gone to a lot of homes in New Orleans right after Katrina had hit. And I, I heard a guy who was with her on that trip as he told a story specifically about opening up refrigerators in these homes. It had been 11 months ever since these refrigerators had been opened. And I will never forget how he described what that was like, where you open up that refrigerator door and just knocks you back, just how hellish that smell is. And the part that I will never forget for, for as long as I live is, is when he said, that smell, that decomposing smell, that has to be what sin smells like. It looks like leprosy. It smells like decomposing food that, that has not been open up in over a year. And with this image in our mind, I mean, there is absolutely nothing beautiful about leprosy. Gigantic, hideous sores cover the flesh. It has the power to contaminate other people. And regardless of how much the evil one makes sin seem harmless and fun, there is absolutely nothing harmless or fun about sin in the long run. There is nothing beautiful about our sins. This leper wants with all of his heart to just be clean, and to no longer be this outwardly. And this motivated him to do something that, that speaks to us so much 2,000 years later. He believed that Jesus was able to do what all of the doctors and priests in Jerusalem 
could not do all of the years that he had leprosy. And that is, he believed that Jesus could make him absolutely clean. And so he seeks Jesus in the midst of his hopelessness. He has one goal, and that goal is, I have got to get to Jesus because he is my only hope in this entire world. And what we notice about this man is that, notice that how in the text it says that, that he seeks a complete healing. We do not see him bow down before Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that you are very busy. Just heal my face. Don't worry about my hands and my feet as long as you can heal my um, face. And that will be good enough for me. But rather what he says is, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me, all of me, 100% of me, completely and utterly clean. You see, he was not sort of inflicted with leprosy. He was covered with it from the very top of his head all the way down to his feet. And yet, how many people have we known in our lives who have bowed down before Jesus, wanting a home in heaven, wanting all of their sins forgiven, and yet who only wanted to give Jesus just a little bit of their, their heart, just a little bit of their lives, and have lived exactly as they had lived all along. What Jesus wants to do in our lives is to wash all of our sins away. And yet the only way that he can do that is if we repent of all of those sins. And we say, Lord, I enjoy doing these things, but I choose you. I no longer want to do these things anymore in my life. This is what he wants. And it says in Scripture elsewhere, John says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice what is true. Or as Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. Because how shall we who have died to sin still live in it any longer? This is that kind of heart that, that all of us need. And now as I look out at you this morning, I can't see any sins. As you look at me this morning, you cannot see sin. I see people of spirituality. I see people of love who are happy to be here this morning and who want to be God's church. And yet I also know that it's so easy for us, once we leave those doors, sometimes a mask that we may have been wearing comes off. And we are a completely different person outside of this building than we were here on Sunday morning. And it's so easy for us to, to outwardly look as if we, we have life. And to outwardly look as if we are Christians. And yet if we are, are, are reverting back to our old lives and we are intentionally walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit, once we leave these doors, this is more of what we might appear like internally. This is what many scribes and Pharisees had been. As Jesus said that, that, yes, outwardly you look so wonderful. Outwardly you are praying and you are tithing and you are fasting and you appear so righteous and so holy, but inwardly you are full of dead men's bones and all unrighteousness. And so what does this man who has leprosy do? He falls flat on his face at the feet of Jesus and he says, if you are willing 
Jesus, there's no doubt in my heart, you will and you can make me clean. And then the very next words in Mark's account, it says, moved with compassion. You see, this is what melts Jesus' heart every single time. What melts the heart of God is, is any time we acknowledge to God, God, I need you to live. You are my only hope in this world, and without you, I am not getting out of this world alive, or in this case, well. It's really what we see in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? As all these people come to a realization that, 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 wait a minute, that Messiah who Isaiah spoke about, that Messiah who we waited all of those years for, 400 years of silence waiting for, aching for, he was right here in front of us. And we crucified him on a cross. It's like, oh my God, what have we done? I mean, they are pierced to the heart, it says in Acts. Men and brethren, what shall we do? He says, repent and let all of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and this wonderful day at Pentecost, we see 3,000 internal spiritual lepers brought into God's church. And all of those sins that had been contaminating their, their souls, it was all washed away. And they were spiritually made clean by the blood of Jesus. This is what Jesus does for us. And yet that is not even really what the greatest part of all of this is. My favorite part of this leper bowing down before Jesus is, is really on Jesus. It's how Jesus reacts to this man. Because remember, leprosy was something that, that you would run as far away from as you possibly could. This was a highly contagious disease that you wanted nothing to do with. This man was the outcast of outcasts, the untouchable of untouchables. And he's living in a Jewish world that says that, that if you even touch a leper or anybody who is unclean, it doesn't matter what sort of uncleanness it may be which you become unclean with. Even if it's hidden from you, you, you come to know about it, you will be guilty for making contact with that person who is unclean. You see, as this man bows down before Jesus, Jesus has every right under the law of Moses to back away from this guy or to recoil in disgust and say, dude, get away from me. Go back to your leper colony. You shouldn't even be out here. I have no time for you. Jesus had every right to um, say those things to this leper. And yet Jesus also could have healed this man with a word, with a thought, with the blinking of an eye. And yet notice how Jesus intentionally drives his leprosy out. He drives his leprosy out by doing the absolute unimaginable in this time, where Jesus actually reaches out and he makes contact with this leper. He, he lays his hands on his body. I mean, just imagine all of the gasping going on in this crowd. Like, what is he doing? Why is he touching that guy? He is going to be unclean if he does this. And yet this is a, a graphic example of the love and of the compassion that Jesus has for us. Now, 
there in Matthew's account, as we read a moment ago, it says that, that immediately, once Jesus lays his hands on him, it says that immediately his leprosy had been cleansed. And in Mark's account, it says that immediately his leprosy left him. Well, any time in the gospel account it says that, that Jesus had been amazing people, astonishing people, that is no understatement, let me tell you. Imagine in the blinking of an eye, someone who looks something like, like this, bowing down before Jesus. Everybody's backing away from him, scared and terrified of being made unclean. He looks like this. And then in the blinking of an eye, he looks like this. I mean, now his eyes are back. Now all of his fingers are back. His toes are back. And he looks just as normal as you and me. I mean, imagine how it felt for, for him. Because once he opened up his eyes, now for the rest of his life, he no longer had to live in isolation outside of the camp. When he walked into town, never ever again for the rest of his life would he have to say, unclean, unclean, everybody move away from me. You see, this man's advent has finally arrived. And what was this, this leper's advent? His advent was to have a family. It was to have friends. It was to have a face and to actually feel as if he were an actual human being who had a name. His advent was acceptance and belonging in this world. Just as he had this horrific disease and desired to be healed of it, so mankind outside of Christ is full of this disgusting disease called sin, and we need to be washed clean. And after King David had sinned with Bathsheba, he writes in Psalm 51, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins. Blot out my transgressions. Purify me with hyssop. And my soul shall be clean. And I just want us to all notice that connection there. Wash me, he says, from my sins. He needed to be washed. He says, cleanse me from my sins. He needed cleansing in his soul. He says, blot out my transgressions. He needed a clean slate. He says, purify me with hyssop, and I am going to be clean. This is what, what happens when we come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we bring this to a close this morning, what I would like to invite us all to is very simple, but it really requires all of our hearts. I want to ask us, do we want to be clean? Are there any areas in our hearts, sins that we are still, for whatever reason, still clinging on to, even though we know that Jesus has called us out of this kind of life? This man who had leprosy, he wanted to be clean. Do we want to be clean of all of those sins in our souls? And yet also I want to invite us to something that is going to hurt a little bit. And that's because every single one of us have untouchables in our lives. It's individuals who once we see them, once we hear them speaking, we get as far away from them as we can. And it all depends on, on who we are, really, as who our untouchables are. There are a lot of people whose untouchables are quote-unquote liberals. 
Or maybe there are others whose untouchables are people who wear red hats that say, Make America Great Again. Or it might be the, the, the LGBT community. It might be people who are homeless who might walk into a church gathering. But, you see, this is stepping on all of our toes because what Jesus is calling us to live by is to see no person in this world as an untouchable. What he is inviting us to is to view every single person in this world as the recipients of the love of God. And so who are our untouchables? And once we know who those untouchables are, Jesus had been willing to, um, to actually touch an untouchable. Are we willing to touch our untouchables? Are we willing to love them and to care for them and to do good to them? As one minister says in closing, the love of God always transcends and always overcomes all of the boundaries, all of the divisions, all of the categories, and all of the labels that we place upon other people. When Jesus touched the leper, he in essence switched places with him. Jesus was willing to be excluded so that the leper could be included. To be truly committed to Jesus is to be truly committed to the outsider. And I say amen to that. These, these were the kinds of people who Jesus dealt with every single day of his life on the earth. The absolute worst of the absolute worst. The outcast of outcasts. The untouchables of all untouchables. People just like you and me who desperately need the healing of Jesus Christ. And yet, this season of Advent is not just about us waiting and waiting and waiting. It's also about Jesus waiting and waiting and waiting on us to have a heart that can live this way. 